0: Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. Hope you're doing well. I hope you are enjoying the ISL performances as much as I have been. It's starting to wrap up here, their condensed season, uh, season number two. And it's just been awesome to see high-level swimming and how many of these swimmers are high-level athletes as well. There, it's now... more uncommon thing to see a swimmer behind the blocks at an elite level that is not very athletic versus 20, 30 years ago, almost all the swimmers you could probably say were not very athletic. So it's just awesome to see that swimmers are continuing to push the boundaries at the elite level. And part of that is because they're focusing on becoming better athletes, athleticism, strength, power mobility all the things that we talk about at surge strength all the time and it's just really cool to be able to enjoy some high level swimming so i hope you catch it uh here or was able to catch some of the last few matches as we're wrapping up the season there with the isl and on the other end of the spectrum we just put out a really uh, great article, I thought, and we got a lot of good feedback on it about 10 and unders, the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> so not the elite athletes, but the other end, the beginning of your swimming career. How do you do dry land for the 10 and unders? Well, that's actually an article we wrote recently for Swim Swam. Uh, if you go to the homepage of Swim Swam, hit the training tab, you'll see surge strength dry land training. You can find all our articles there. But we tried to break it down into what, does 10 and under dryland training look like as opposed to maybe a little bit older age groups or the senior swimmers or college or even master's level swimmers. So we break that down the article and also I thought that would be a great lesson to have for on this episode in the inside the Surge Strength Academy segment. So we're going to be talking even more about how do you train those younger age groupers when it comes to dryland? What are the things to do, make sure you're doing, and other things to stay away from? So that's what's coming up in the Surge Strength Academy section. And remember, that's pulled directly from lessons that are in the Surge Strength Dryland Certification, which we have more and more coaches signing up for all the time it's just pretty wild not only in the u.s but internationally how many swim coaches are taking advantage of this resource they're saying this is game-changing for them And for the dryland talk segment for this episode, you're going to be able to hear one of the study sessions that we did where coaches are able to send in their questions as they're working through the curriculum or they'll join us live on that Zoom call. And so we just talk, hey, what are you guys trying to learn? What are you maybe struggling with picking up? And it's always a great conversation. And I love talking dryland, especially when we can get to a higher level where people know the basics, right? They know the ratios. They know the movement categories. Now let's actually talk at a higher level and not just try to establish an elementary understanding of dryland. So that's always fun as well. So that's what we have coming up for this episode, guys. Inside the CERD Strength Academy. Dryland training for the younger age groupers is what I'm going to be talking about in this lesson. So remember, with age groupers, we broke them up into a older category, 11 and to 14, and a younger category, 10 and under. So we're going to be talking specific about what does that dryland training look like for the 10 and unders. So if we didn't consider, or we told you not to consider, 11 to 14 year old kids, little adults, we definitely don't want to treat 10 and unders as little or mini adults either. Remember, this is a huge developmental point in their life in terms of when you can instill coordination, development, movement skills, rhythm, all of that stuff. It's even bigger than when they were 11 to 14. So keep that first and foremost in your mind. If you miss this period with these kids, it is going to be hard sledding for whoever has to do dry land or even swim training with them at a high school age because their athleticism is really going to be limited. So keep that. In mind it's not about what exercises they're learning it's really about the movement skills that you're developing with the 10 and unders so to do that we're going to be teaching through situations and games you basically want to set up basic boundaries guidelines rules make sure everyone's safe and then let the kids go and explore they just want to have a couple of rules to remember and then they're going to learn how to manipulate their body how to move their body around in space how to be within the boundaries that you've set for this particular game. And remember, we have the whole list of games in the Dryland Games lesson. So if we refer to some of these and you're not sure what they are, don't worry. You can always refer back to this lesson after you've watched the Dryland Games lesson as well. You also want to make sure you're emphasizing teamwork and cooperation as you do these simple relays and games. That's, of course, a skill we want all our swimmers to have as they're developing in their athletic career. With this the gaming part you really want to have them discover as much as possible very little hey kids see what I'm doing you want to do this as well like push-ups or things like that and if you you, you want to minimize that as much as possible but if you are going to do it let's say you are going to do kids we're going to do a push-up today just have one cue two at the most do not overcoach remember that's kind of the hard line to walk when you're 11 to 14 a little bit more of that transition group where it's pure play discovery and then you start to introduce teaching just a little bit so then it could be teaching training emphasis in high school with these 10 really be particular if you're going to introduce an exercise and have them mirror you i'd rather it be a lot more game setup discovery than the mirroring at this point but if you are really keep it to just one or two cues so far in terms of our movement categories, you know, we have push, pull, squat, hinge and brace. For the ten and unders, really don't even think about that. Your movement categories if you will are run, climb, squ- crawl, skip and jump. Those are the things you want to think about. All right, how much can I build all of those? Because if you're building a lot of those movements into the dryland program, the athletes are going to have that development of coordination, movement and rhythm that then by the time they're 11 to 14, High school, college, they're going to have that athleticism to build on. And so don't miss this opportunity with the 10 and unders. Run, crawl, climb, skip, jump. These are really your five movement categories for 10 and unders. Don't really worry about push, pull, squat, hinge, brace, and all of that stuff when they're 10 and under at this point. And this is going to be a little bit different, this next point. Um, So coaches, make sure you're listening here. We always hear about the process right and swimming is a big thing of like put in the process and the results will come well actually with dryland for 10 i want you to focus on the outcome and the actual reward for that so by that what i mean is if you say if you set up the game of all right guys how far can you jump and stick the landing it's very simple jump as far as you can have you stuck the landing that's it if they do it great I frankly don't care what the jump looks like or even what the landing looks like because I've set it up that if they do the parameters of jump really far and stick it, they're going to be on the right track. Later on, we can worry about, okay, where was your knee or where was the angle of your feet or where was your chest when you landed? That would be much more 11, 14 or or senior level kids that we would give those cue backs to. At 10 and under, I just want them enthusiastic about trying to jump as far as they can and stick that landing. Or another game that we'll do sometimes is put a line down on the floor and then have a starting line and say, all right, how close can you jump to that line without going over? Again, how close can you jump to it and can you stick and hold the landing? Other than that, I don't really care what the jump looks like because I've set those simple parameters that they can do. So it really is outcome-based. I'm not worried about the process for the 10 and unders. That starts to shift a little bit when they go to 11 to 14, then we're starting to worry more a little bit more about the teaching part and then ultimately the training part as well another simple one how long can you keep a tight tall streamline on your toes and yes of course the streamline we can maybe coach up a little bit more cuz you're probably doing that in the pool but hopefully you get the point is don't overcoach with these little guys and keep it really simple in terms of the guidelines boundaries you set in the games or activities you're doing and then reward just the outcome don't worry about coaching up every little thing at this point. Save that for later in the development. You just want the kids enjoying dryland at this point and learning about their body and how to move and control it. Don't think, oh, I got to get these kids ahead. You know, I'll really I'll really show the next group coach. I'll have all these kids doing push-ups, pull-ups, squats, and hinges, and all that. Really, even if you have a great athlete, I would not promote that kind of thinking with dryland for 10 and unders. Go back to the other five movements that we had, the run, crawl, skip, jump, hop. Uh, those things. that's what we want to encourage at the ten um, the wider base you can think of this with movement and with that, repeated a lot. But also there's going to be natural variety in it, very much to we talked about in earlier past lessons, variety just naturally happens if you're changing the variables. Well, the same thing here, if you're looking at your list of dynamic movements and what's crawl, what's skip, what's hop, what's jump, climbing, If you just rotated through those and continually rotated through it you're going to have the repetition and the variety so it's not counterintuitive to think oh i can only do one or the other you want to be able to do both repeat these various skills and through that you're going to have variety in the dryland and this may be a hard thing for some coaches maybe some coaches don't have any issue with it but keep your ego out of it it goes back to don't think i'm going to be the best dryland coach and have these 10 and unders be doing push-ups, pull-ups, squats, hinges, and knock out that brace, uh, the bridge test. Don't worry about that. When they're 11, 14, you could start to think about some of those things, but just think about how big, wide can I build this base of movement skills for these swimmers when they're 10 and unders? Because going back to the physiology principles we talked about, if we can get as many motor units to fire and teach these motor units to be as coordinated and smooth as possible. Remember, this is a critical time where you can really develop it if kids are just sitting on the couch all time when they're 10 and unders versus if they're playing and doing lots of different sports there's a huge difference even just a few years down the road in what kind of athlete they ultimately could be so in addition to the motor units starting to fire if you just set up the games where i talked about jump as far as you can and stick it well now we have all these muscle contractions that are naturally going to be built in as well so the motor units the different type of contractions and ultimately, when they're older, we're going to give them the biggest base possible to build their strength and then produce power and endurance capabilities. Even though they're all 10 and under, still be remotely aware of the training, biological, chronological ages, but this isn't as big a deal. I think once you get to that 11 and 14, then it's a lot uh, bigger variety I've found, but the 10 and unders, they're a little bit closer together in where all these are gonna come. 11 and 14 is probably the trickiest one of these three categories. But remember too with the 10 and unders, and remember we wanna slow cook, super slow cook that process and much as possible with these little guys. Long-term athletic development models. They're only 10. Hopefully they're swimming till they're 20, 30 and beyond as master swimmers and hopefully that peak year, wherever that is, 20s, even 30s, we want them to realize their ultimate potential as an athlete. So your goal when working with these 10 and unders is how much movement coordination rhythm can you teach them and especially where they could just soak it up in this critical development period and then use it for the rest of their athletic career so make sure that is ultimately your focus and not how many push-ups pull-ups or other things like that that is more safe for the older kids the 10 and unders it's all about movement coordination games having fun with that so that does it for dryland for 10 and under age groupers
0: Ryland talk um, we had an earlier question from Phil. I'm gonna to try to do these in the order they were asked um, <clears throat> recommendations for a 10 to 14 day second taper I'm assuming meaning you qualify you know you got a kid that qualified for states and you know you got two weeks to retaper what do you do
1: yeah so that would depend on um, so who who's on who asked that question they're obviously they're on the call Philip Philip give me a little bit more background of like what phases are you going into the taper? How did you do that? Because that's going to dictate how I'm going to play with that two weeks in between. Two, no worries.
0: He's got a baby on his lap, so he'll be right back.
2: <laughs> and she's yelling a lot, so trying to <laughs> no keep worries. my mic off. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. I mean, I in the past I've done. You know, I've done something, you know, we've we been working with you for a little while now. And and so we would do last two weeks, we would move into lighter weight, heavier, there's my other one, um, lighter weight, heavier, you know, or like, you know, intensity, right? We do the power phase mm-hmm. and we end the last probably week, just going maybe a 30 minute session where all I'm trying to do is get them to get, you know, activation and, and, and slap like hard and just getting the intensity up as high as I can. Um. And then we, you know, we go to districts, it's usually a Friday, Saturday. And then depending on the year, we either have 10 or 14 days before states. And and so I try to usually get them in back in the weight room on the Monday after. So we, we come in on Sunday, we do a nice, you know, 45 minute swim out. Uh, we get in the weight room on Monday. And at that point I might only be doing, I might continue with the 30 minutes, but I might have them do, I don't know, three sets of three. Um, if I'm having them squat or if I'm having them, you know, do something like that. And then maybe until that way, like maybe two or three days of that. And then I'm all right. Like then I have to kind of, I start peeling back again, uh, to get them ready for States. And sometimes, you know, we, you know, if, if state starts on Wednesday, we leave on Tuesday of the, that following week. So I might only have three or four sessions yeah,
1: total. Yeah. You might only have like eight days. Then we're really talking about at that point. Exactly. So it's, I mean, <clears throat> I would almost um, play around with um, – if, if I if I had – so you, you say you have, what, four sessions with them?
2: Yeah, approximately.
1: So maybe even play around with uh, first session back, we're at, I don't know, half of peak volume. So let's say you taper down to 25% volume on a strength power phase or a strength phase, you know. Um, so then if, if the first day back is – maybe 50% volume, but the weight's not there. And then the second session, we do strength weight and 50% volume weight is back up to it. Then you can do the two more sessions strength power because then there's a little bit more continuity and the, the yeah. jump isn't as extreme of like, hey, we're going to do strength for a session or two and now we're going to do power. Like, I, I, I've not liked going that extreme, especially in that short of a window. I'd rather there be a little bit more, like, flow between yeah. the workouts and the phases. And especially if you're tapering down and ending on a power session, um, off the top of my head, I feel like whenever we would do double tapers, there was always better results when we tapered on different phases. Again, just because it's something different, right? It's just the body's not oh, hey, this is the same old thing. We just did this two weeks ago, right? And so in some ways, I like that. If the first one we we taper down and we're in a power phase and we end, and then we have that tight window, I'm not going to get a lot of work done, like you said. So what's just the most gentle way to bring them back up, make sure there's some strength in there and then a little power on the pop. And that second where the second uh, session where we're going strength power, I mean, then we're probably doing one set of each thing, you know, so it's not even going to be that much volume, obviously. But I still like the fact that I've, I've carried the strength, and I'm making sure I still have the neuromuscular firing where we're doing quick stuff. You know, so I maybe try something like that.
2: Do you, like, do you think like if if for let's say the first basically the major first major taper, I guess if I just went to strength power and then turned around and came out of that and went maybe one strength day and then went to pure power for the last <laughs> three before we left, like I don't know. I'm just trying to think of. A way to change it up a little
1: bit. So, I actually, I don't know if I would prefer that way as much because in my mind, I'm thinking um, they just went really hard at the the first meet, right? The mm-hmm. what's, what's the first meet districts? District. Or, so, they went there and now I have basically 10 days to reset their system before they're going at again. I almost feel like power isn't helping me, just a pure power phase isn't helping me accomplish that as much in a tight window. Like, but if you gave me, but if you gave me four weeks in between it, like we're more talking the college level, conference that, I I would feel much better about that because I just have a longer window, you know, and I'm not feeling like if if they went hard in a meet and now two out of the four sessions or three out of the four sessions, they're at power and now we're asking them to taper again. Just in my mind, I'm thinking the body's been operating really high now for almost a two week stretch. And I'm not sure if at the end that's going to work out well. That's how I process and, and think okay. through that. Um, so I'd rather it, it feel a little bit more like, all right, they went hard, a little reset with the strength, strength power sprinkled in. All right, now we're getting them up, ready to go fast again. So that, that's just how I think about that with the phases. But that, that's a tough turnaround. The other thing too, <laughs> Philip, is um, I wouldn't overthink it too, right? Like if you've done good work up until that point, it's it's more like, just don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Just don't do anything I mean, crazy at that point. <laughs> we've we've seen good good results
2: at districts, and we don't necessarily haven't like we don't get to states and do poorly, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily like it's kind of like we do the um, basically the same thing. Like, so we don't here's the other thing. The second one.
1: I would use some part of the season if you feel like there's a pattern. I would use some part of the season to try to simulate that. Yeah. And and give it your best guess of like. Um, you know, I don't know if you, if you can have, if there's a point where two dual meets are, you know, 10 days or whatever apart mm-hmm. and not, not do like the full drop down, but just kind of in between and see, all right, was that good? And all right. If we did that, played it all the way out for the end of the season, um, and, and just play around with it, just experimenting. I talked about that in the master's case study with that guy that we trained for so long is, um, with him, we realized that, uh, cause he needed so much recovery, it really was actually better if he put his dryland and his swim as close as he could and then took a really big like 36-hour window where nothing was really intense and then we went back and did it again as opposed to dryland session less than 24 hours later, hard swim session less than 24 hours later. Like he just, he wasn't getting full recovery and I just figured that out because we would just continue to talk and kind of experiment and play around and so that's where it comes back. Like, I'm not this genius thinking of all this stuff. Like you're just, you get in there and you experiment and you say, okay, we did this. We got these results. If I want this, what do I need to try and adjust and just kind of go from there? And especially every group and situation is going to be a little bit different. You know, every year's probably different with you, you know, new kids coming in and stuff like that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, good question. Jason, what else we got?
0: Um, I have a question here from Donald, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to talk to you because he's at work, but he's listening. Um, What's up,
1: Donald? Currently
0: doing dry land at the beach since the facilities are closed. Most of the work I have them doing is body weight. I try to keep the reps between six and eight for 30 seconds. Is this good? Also, been trying to change the tempo for the exercises. So I think in that situation, facilities closed, you're doing body weight at the beach. What do you recommend?
1: Yeah, no, Don, you're on the right track. The other thing I would encourage you to think about too is um, if it's okay, if you're going uh, a little bit higher volume for, even if it's just a few weeks, just cycle through that. Uh, again, that's just not an ideal situation, right? The facility's closed. So what are you going to do? It's just not on a regular basis. Am I going to promote high volume, especially with body weight exercises like that? Because um, I think there's better things to do, but if you don't have access to the equipment, then I would maybe work that in a little bit. The other thing I would alternate with is some really slow down tempo, like for pushup. Can they go five seconds down, three seconds up, something like that, you know? And even six reps of that, that's going to be toast for a lot of them. Um, So I'd play around with those two things. And maybe even depending on the experience level, you go a three-week buildup of volume, drop it back down, a three-week buildup of tempo drop it back down. And even just alternating something like that, uh, I think that would be a good thing. But yeah, no, sounds like you're on the right track and just doing the best you can in that situation.
0: Anybody else have a question? We're actually caught up. So you can type in the box or you can unmute if you want to ask in person.
1: I'm hoping to have the rest of module seven by Thursday or Friday. Although I did not expect the first 11 lessons to be over two hours long. <laughs> it was going to be closer to an hour and I just kept finding stuff to talk about. <laughs> so we'll see. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for on seven and then eight on the equipment. Um, we'll get that turned around pretty quick. I'm hoping to be able to have the first SSDC certified people coming through in a week or two. Uh, I'm going for that. So depending on how caught up you guys are. That's that's what I'm looking at for the timeline and having the the final test up and certification ready to roll. Cool.
0: Hey, Chris, I, I told you I'm a little behind uh, catching up on, on module six. The uh, the one I started to see the age group programming that's coming up. Um, the I, And I also think in module seven, you might be covering a little bit, but like, could you talk a little bit about the age level of what you're doing, different things, and, and, and when you're incorporating some of the more advanced work, understanding the level one, two, three, scoring it is what we generally use. But I assume there's also some age with just motor skill and then also with comfort level with different equipment.
1: Yeah, I don't have a hard and fast rule, Jim, on, on like age and level but you are right. Like that's what level seven is all about basically. So the first even 11 modules that are up right now, if you get caught up to that, uh, I'm breaking down basically populations of what I do with master summers, college, postgrads, pros, uh, high school. And then I break up age group into two categories, 11 to 14 and then 10 and unders. And the differences in all of those and how I even would manipulate the sessions differently, and then having case studies for each of those. So um, all the way up through, I think the first 11 covers like through the age group uh, 11 to 14. I don't think the case study is up for 11 to 14 yet. But the other thing with that too is um, there's, this, there's this dance too of like, and it's actually counterintuitive. The younger they are, you actually want to be more results-based which you think like everybody's talking about, hey, you know, do the process so the results will come later. Well, actually like with kids, it works better if you're like, hey, just jump high, just, you know, push up, just run, just stop when they're younger so that you can encourage them to do that. And then there's this dance of now you start to talk about technique and then you almost end up exclusively talking about technique once you get older. So it's no longer, you know, do the squat. It's okay, hey, this little angle, but you want to make sure when they're younger, you're not overloading them or burning them with that. You just want them to like get engaged, you know, how, how high can you jump guys? You know, how fast can you go? Stuff like that. So that's what a big overarching theme is that you'll be able to see and how it starts to flow around the 11, 14 high school. That's where there's this mix of, you still want to encourage them that way, but now we have our eye on technique. And then by the time they're in college, it's almost exclusively a technique form-based outcome that you're looking for. Obviously, you know, looking at results of like the weight you can move and stuff, but still it's much more focused on how does it look and self-coaching and things like that. So I think that's a big thing uh, that may surprise some coaches. Like when they're young, just, just let them go, just encourage them. Um, And I'm going to talk about and show some of my favorite games that I would run with the age groupers from even up to high school where we would set up a game. Like one of the games, um, we would do. So, you have those like uh, agility rings that you could just uh, throw. And so, I had different colors. And so, we'd have a room, I don't even know, it was like 20 feet by 15 or something, not super huge. And group of kids on one wall and I would just throw rings, the two colors. And I say, all right guys, you can only have your right foot land in the blue and your left foot land in the red. Get to the other side. And then we'd have two of them go at a time. So, like Setting up parameters like that where okay, they know the rules, but I'm not running around like, oh, well, your knee kind of moved when you landed, you know, on that one. Like, so that's not an issue, but I've set up the parameters of just letting them start to explore that. And even like at the high schoolers, like I would just do games like that, sometimes sprinkle that stuff in where I set up very defined parameters and I'm making sure everybody's safe, but at the same time, I'm not overcoaching anything. I'm just letting them go and learn about their body. Like, how do I control my body? Like, how do I figure out Okay. If I'm jumping on my left foot here and I got to land on my right foot here, how am I going to do that and and manipulate that? So I'm a big fan of setting up more simple games and letting the kids figure that stuff out. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Thanks. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll
0: in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.